Hey friends, Mikey Adams here with the Unsunday Show. Does the fact that I've left an institutional church setting, and maybe you've left an institutional church setting, does the fact that that's true mean that we have forsaken the assembling of ourselves together? I used to hear that a lot in the early days after I left institutional Christianity. That idea comes from Hebrews chapter 10, and that's today's topic on the Unsunday Show. You're listening to the Unsunday Show. Leaving behind religious obligation to find a more authentic expression of Christ in us, this is the Unsunday Show. Let me say at the outset that one of the listeners to the Unsunday Show, Michael, suggested this topic. He reached out to me and asked me my opinion on Hebrews 10.25 and the idea of forsaking ourselves from gathering together. And he asked me my opinion on that, and I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, let's just do a whole episode on it, because part of my response to him, I think, was, yeah, I've talked about Hebrews 10.25, and I've talked about this topic on a couple of different occasions, but they're buried down in some other episode. There's no episode that I could find that's dedicated just to this idea of Hebrews 10.25 and forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, at least not that I could find. So I thought I would put one together and have an episode dedicated strictly to that topic, because I think it's a necessary topic. I think it's something we need to talk about. And I also want it to be searchable on the Unsunday Show website, so that if you go there and you search Hebrews 10.25 or you search forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, that this episode will come up. Plus, I'll put it in the title, so that'll make it easier for you to find. Plus, I, I want to put a little plug right here and let you know that if there's a topic on the Unsunday show that you would like talked about, feel free to reach out to me. You can leave a comment on my website at unsunday.com on this episode or any other episode and suggest a topic that tweaks you. There's also a contact form there where you can just reach out to me privately if that's something that you would like to do. And if there's a topic that really interests you, send it to me. And if it works, if it looks like it's a good fit for the End Sunday show, maybe I'll talk about it here too. But I want to thank Michael for bringing this topic up and really kind of getting the creative juices going as far as creating a podcast episode strictly about this topic. Because if you're like me, you've heard this a number of times. If you've left institutional Christianity and someone finds out that you've left institutional Christianity, what often happens is that they approach you, I'm assuming with good motives, but they approach you with a proof text, and that proof text is more often than not Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. In fact, let me read that for you. I'm going to be reading this out of the ESV because that's what I have right in front of me, not that I think that there's something magical about the ESV because I don't. But Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now your version or your translation may say something like, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, where the one I'm reading from says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And so what happens more often than not is someone, again with, I'm assuming, good intentions, hears that we've left an institutional setting, an institutional religious setting, and perhaps they're concerned about that, and so they come to us with one of their arsenal. 
Because let's be honest, what we have and what most of us have possessed in the past, and maybe we still do, is an arsenal of proof texts. We have, it's like this, this uh, bag full of proof texts that we're ready to bring out at any time. If there's ever a discussion, if there's ever an argument, if there's ever a disagreement, we have our proof texts that we're ready to pounce on someone with in order to prove our point, to prove ourselves right, and to win the discussion or win the argument or win the day. But the thing about proof text is that most of them are ripped out of context. I can use a proof text without regard to context. In fact, I would say that that's when they're most effective, is when we disregard context, we ignore context, and we just bring a, a memory verse or something out of our arsenal of proof text, and we lay it on someone, thinking we've done them a service and that we're loving them. But in reality, what we've probably done is we've neglected the context of the verse and we've used the verse to bolster our position on something in order to make us right and them wrong. I think we've all done that. I know I've done that and I regret doing that. But like you, I've also had that done to me. Now, I left institutional Christianity a while ago. It's been several years. And anymore, it seems like the, the company that I find myself in are those who have also left institutional Christianity. And so, this conversation doesn't come up a lot, but it used to. It used to come up all the time years ago when I first left institutional Christianity, the institutional religious systems. Now, by saying that, I want to go back to what I've said in previous episodes. I haven't ditched Jesus. I haven't walked away from the faith. In fact, if anything, my faith has deepened having left institutional Christianity because I'm more free to think things through now. I'm more free to think differently. I don't have to conform to the group think tank any longer. And I really think that that's Romans 12, isn't it? Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. Well, in an institutional setting, at least in my experience, and I'm just speaking for, for me, for myself only here, in my experience, I had to be so conformed to the group think, to the tribal doctrine, to the tribal ideas of the group that I was in, that I really wasn't able to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I could only go so far with it because I had to stay within the parameters of that religious system. But when you start to see beyond that, and you start to take that step away from that religious system, to me, that isn't detrimental. To me, that is a good thing, because now my thinking can boldly go where it's never gone before, and part of that transformation and transforming of myself and the renewing of my mind is freer now to express things that I couldn't express before. So what do you do when someone comes up to you and says, oh, they found out that you've left the institutional church, and they say, well, you've forsaken the assembling of yourselves together, and they kind of you know, get all huffy about it. What do you do? What do you say? Well, I'm going to avoid trying to tell you what to do and what to say in this, because I think every situation is a little bit different. But what I do want to do is put it back in its context, because I want you to understand the context of Hebrews 10.25. Hebrews 10.25 wasn't written in a vacuum. Hebrews 10.25 was written in a larger context of the entire letter to the Hebrews. And Hebrews 10.25, in my opinion, has nothing to do with leaving an institutional church setting. Because remember this, if this is the only thing that you take away from this episode of the Unsunday Show, let it be this. When Hebrews 10.25 was originally written, there weren't any institutional churches. The institutional religious systems that we have all around us today didn't exist. They weren't there. So the writer of Hebrews, whoever that was, couldn't have meant in Hebrews 10 verse 25 that, wow, you need to get back into institutional Christianity because institutional Christianity wasn't there yet. Ooh. I know, big revelation, right? 
But Hebrews 10.25 was written in a larger context of the letter to the Hebrews. The letter to the Hebrews was written to, drumroll please, Hebrews. It was written to Jews, some of whom had believed and some of whom were still kind of riding the fence. I think there was a mixture there of both. And perhaps those who were as of yet undecided needed some additional encouragement in order to embrace Jesus as the Messiah that the Old Covenant had promised. Remember, these are Jews. These are Hebrews. For a long time, I didn't know how to approach the book of Hebrews. It kind of scared me. I didn't understand it. I didn't really grasp what was going on in there for quite a number of years. But the more exposure I got to the New Covenant as opposed to the Old Covenant, the pieces began to fall in place for me, and I began to understand more fully both the context of the letter to the Hebrews and some of the verses that before seemed a little confusing. Because the writer of the book of Hebrews, and it wasn't a book, it was a letter, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews was trying to convince these Jews who were still practicing Old Covenant things that the New Covenant had arrived, and that Jesus is better than anything in the Old Covenant, that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Covenant. I mean, read the book of Hebrews, read the letter to the Hebrews, and you'll see it for yourself. It's all about Jesus' sacrifice being better. It's all about Jesus' priesthood being better than anything that came before it. It's all about Jesus fulfilling the Old Covenant. It's all about the promises that God made being fulfilled in Jesus. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is trying to convey to these Jews who, like I said, I think some had believed and others were kind of waffling. They were getting pressured. They were getting pressured from family. They were getting pressured from friends. They were being threatened to be put out of the synagogue. Some were being threatened to lose their livelihood if they kept doing this Jesus thing. And so that was giving them pause to reconsider and think, well, maybe this really isn't worth it. Maybe this Jesus guy really isn't the Messiah. We know God spoke through Moses, but who's this Jesus fellow? And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to encourage them in that message of the gospel, in that message that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything before. That's why in the letter to the Hebrews, you've got the sacrifices of the old covenant compared to Jesus' better sacrifice, his once-for-all sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, which could never happen under the old covenant. So the letter to the Hebrews was written to fully convince these Jews to come to Jesus. And man, you can't read the book of Hebrews and not see that over and over again. Phrases like, we're convinced of better things of you. Passages that both warn and reassure that we have this full profession of faith and that if we turn away from it, there's no more sacrifice for sins because Jesus already sacrificed himself once for all time for our sins. And so where are you going to turn? You're going to go back to the old covenant? You're going to go back into the temple? You're going to go back into the shadows and the types when you've got the reality presented right before you? And remember, at the time of this writing, it was prior to AD 70. And so the temple was still standing. Yeah, the old covenant was obsolete. It was, it was obsolete the moment Jesus died. That's Hebrews 8. The old covenant was obsolete when the writer of Hebrews was writing, but the sacrifices were still happening because the temple was still standing. Even though the Old Covenant was obsolete, it was still being practiced by those in the temple. And these people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to were among that group. And he was writing to convince them of that truth that Jesus fulfills everything in the Old Covenant. But some of these people, some of these Hebrews, some of these Jews that the writer of Hebrews was addressing were being pressured to return to Judaism. They were being pressured to return to the temple. They were being pressured to observe the law. 
And numerous times, the writer to the Hebrews says, we're convinced of better things of you. We're convinced of better things for you. We're convinced of things that accompany salvation. And so the entire letter of the Hebrews was intended to encourage. In fact, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10, and let's read a little more of this passage to get it in its context, and then I'll say a few more things about it. In Hebrews 10, 19, the writer starts with this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you catch the tone of what he's saying? He's encouraging these Hebrews to believe. He's encouraging them to come to Jesus by faith alone. He's encouraging them to leave behind the elements of the old covenant and to fully embrace Jesus as the better sacrifice, as the final sacrifice, as the true sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And in the context of that, he's saying, let us hold fast our confession without wavering. What were they doing? They were wavering. Had some left? Yes, they had. Some had departed, but they didn't leave an institutional church setting. They left the faith. They abandoned what they had heard about Jesus and the new covenant in favor of the old covenant and the types and the shadows. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, please don't leave. Stick around and listen to this message because this message gives life. And he even concludes chapter 10 with these words. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Isn't this the same meaning that the writer of Hebrews had a few chapters later in chapter 13 and verse 7 when he said, Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Again, that's Hebrews 13, 7. That's another verse I think that we take out of context and we put it in our proof text arsenal in order to get people to submit and obey the leadership in an institutional church setting. But again, that's not the context. When the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13 and verse 7, remember your leaders, he's not talking about pastors and bishops and archbishops and priests and what have you. He's talking about those who have led these people to Christ. He's talking about those leaders within the assembly who have spoken to them the gospel, the message of Jesus. The phrase word of God in here isn't a reference to the Bible. The Bible never refers to itself as the Word of God. The phrase, the Word of God, is reserved for Jesus and the message about Jesus. And so, when the writer of Hebrews is saying here in chapter 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God, he's saying to them, remember those who brought you in, who first shared Christ with you, who led you to him. Remember those people. He's not saying line up under the pastor and do what the pastor says and obey the pastor. He's saying, remember these people who brought you this message of Jesus Christ. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. In other words, don't leave. Don't go back to that empty system of Judaism. Don't go back to that empty system of sacrifices in the temple. 
Remember these people who led you. Look at their lives, and they're the ones who shared with you the message of Jesus in the first place. It's another encouragement to continue on. It's another encouragement to not go back to that old covenant system, which is weak and obsolete, but to fully understand that what they do have and what they are experiencing is the fulfillment of all that was pictured under the old covenant by this new covenant gospel. I think this verse in chapter 13 and verse 7 is another one where we insert ourselves into the text. We take what what our experiences are, we take what we know in this institutional uh, Christianity setting, and we insert ourselves, we insert it, that system, back into passages like this. And we say, well, these leaders must be the pastors because we've so centralized the pastor. And so we take what we know, we take our experiences, and we superimpose it back on the text of Scripture. We read ourselves into it, and then we come away with that interpretation. And then we put that verse in our arsenal of proof texts, and we're ready to pull it out at a moment's notice. Never mind that it's completely out of context. That's irrelevant. We have a point to prove, and the point is, if you leave the institutional church setting, you're somehow sinning, or you know, you're you're a disappointment to God, and and you're hurting the whole message. You're hurting the whole system. And so, our job then is to herd you up and get you back into that system, so that we can all be in one mind again. But that's again, that's out of context. These proof texts that we use, especially in the book of Hebrews, are so far out of context. We have them lined up in our arsenal because that's what we've been trained to do. But the most casual reading of the letter to the Hebrews will reveal a different context. Yeah, these people had left, but they didn't leave an institution, again, because there weren't any. What they had rejected was the message of the gospel that Jesus is the fulfiller of everything in the Old Covenant, and they've gone back to, some of them had gone back to that Old Covenant system and re-embraced it all over again, again, because they were being pressured by friends, by family, by employment, by social status, by threats of being kicked out of the synagogue, by not being able to participate in, in temple activities there in Jerusalem. And so some had left, some had departed. And in that context, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews is pleading with them not to abandon Jesus, but to fully embrace him, to fully believe. That's the context of Hebrews 10.25. But here's the bottom line in all of this. Far from asking his readers to go back to an institutional setting, back into an institutional religious setting, he's asking them not to go back into a religious institutional setting. So our friends who try and get us back into the institution and use this verse, Hebrews 10.25, as their proof text for showing that we need to do that, have it backwards. They don't understand. The writer of Hebrews was not speaking about going back to an institution. He was speaking about not going back to an institution, which would result in losing the freedom that we have in Jesus. And for me, that's the bottom line in the interpretation of this verse and in keeping it in the proper context. It's not a plea to return to some kind of a religious system. It's a plea to not return to a religious system. But I've experienced it just like you have a number of times. As soon as someone asks the infamous question that I'm always kind of waiting for, where do you go to church? And I begin to explain to them that, well, I've got a different concept of church than you do, and I don't have to be at an event 
to be part of the church. But you say that to someone who hasn't been on that same journey or a similar journey, and they kind of freak out, and that's when they immediately reach into their arsenal of proof texts and pull them out and start to use them. Well, perhaps if it's someone you know well and that you have a relationship with or friendship with, maybe you can start working through some things with them, but chances are their mind's made up. I mean, you you never know, but I would say just simply play it by ear, and as the Holy Spirit leads you, do what you feel like He's leading you to do. But here's a hard thing to overcome. You know, I didn't get here overnight. Not that I've arrived anywhere. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that I didn't just wake up one morning and here I am, and I'm no longer a part of institutional religion and institutional Christianity. This journey has taken me years to arrive where I'm at. Well, when you've got somebody who walks up to you and says, where do you go to church? And they're still locked into that system that we call church. The challenge is to be gentle enough with them to bring them along because they're walking into this chapter in your life where you've been doing this for years and they have no concept of it. So how do you how do you begin to explain that? And that's always the challenge, at least it is for me. And some of the time I just get dismissed out of hand as a troublemaker or a heretic. Hey, did you know that heresy just simply means to have an opinion? That's really what it means at its root. And yeah, I have opinions. That's why I have a podcast one of the reasons. But I've shared this before. It it might have been on the old Grace Cafe podcast. I don't remember if it was there or if it's here on the Sunday show. But I have shared this story before somewhere where I was in a restaurant, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, back before COVID. And I stood up to go get some silverware or something. And I bumped into a guy who I hadn't seen in about, I don't know, 20 years, maybe 15, 20 years. And I knew that this guy was in an institutional church close by. You know, I just, I knew that. and, And that's okay. The Lord has a lot of people in those places. I'm just not one of them. But when he asked me that infamous question, where do you go to church? My answer was something like, well, we we just meet in our house with our friends, and that's it. Well, he immediately dismissed me, which I guess made it easy for him. He didn't have have to have a conversation, and quite frankly, neither did I. But he just turned to me and he said, oh, so you're against the body of Christ. And then he just walked out the door. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. So here's somebody that I haven't seen in in 20 years or so who doesn't know anything about me, doesn't know anything about my journey, doesn't know how I got to where I am today, and isn't interested in finding out. He just makes a judgment on me that, oh, I'm I'm anti-body of Christ, and just dismisses me altogether. So when someone comes to you with that infamous question, where do you go to church, there's kind of no real good way to answer that, because you're going to get some kind of a reaction however you do it. And that reaction's you know, probably not going to be real good. So if you're willing to get into a dialogue and have a conversation at length about how you got to where you are today in your thinking, then you know, go for it. But that isn't always possible, and it isn't always necessary. Just be ready for the arsenal of proof texts to come out, because they're going to be bringing them out. And so have an answer ready, if that's what you want to do. Be ready to have an, uh, a conversation and a discussion over those things, if that's what you want to do. One of the arsenal is going to be Hebrews 10.25. I pretty much guarantee it. Oh, you've forsaken the assembling of yourselves together. No, I haven't. My assembling with other believers has gotten so much richer over the years because I don't have to conform to the needless rules in religion. And the times of communion that I have with fellow believers who are of the same mindset as me, pretty much, is so much richer and so much better defined because we're not conforming to the rules of the institution, and it makes what we do more real. 
And we've turned many of the things that are considered sacraments within religion back to just part of life. The Lord's Supper is a meal. It's a celebration, not a sacrament. That's one example. But man, you could take that conversation anywhere you want to go, if that's what you want to do. Hey, listen, I've kept you long enough in this episode here on Hebrews 10.25 and answering, asking and answering the question, does the fact that I've left an institutional church mean that I've forsaken the gathering of myself with other believers? And what does Hebrews 10.25 even mean? So I'll let you go and leave that thought with you. And again, if there's a topic on the Sunday show that you would like to hear discussed, Feel free to reach out to me in the comments at unsunday.com or in the contact form, and I'll consider that. And if it's a good fit for the Unsunday show, I'll make it happen. So, hey, until next time, you all take care and thanks. Thank you for joining us on the Unsunday show. To be a part of this ongoing conversation, visit us online at unsunday.com.